Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Women in Foreign Policy podcast. This month, we did something a little bit different, and you'll be seeing three mini-sodes in your podcast feed. All three episodes are conversations with people who have different perspectives on choices around going to graduate school or professional school, whether that's getting a master's, getting a law degree, or getting a PhD. Hopefully you really enjoy these conversations and you find them helpful as we're entering a season where people start making decisions about graduate school and other professional opportunities in that vein. Hello everyone, my name is Carmen Yetzi Mazera. I serve as Executive Director of APSIA, the Association of Professional Schools of International Affairs. We bring together the community of all the grad schools worldwide that specialize in teaching international affairs. So first question is kind of when it comes to attending grad school, what are some considerations people might have in mind? Like when you have the first thought, you know, oh, maybe grad school is, is an option for me. What are some of the kind of top level things people should be considering? So there might be four things that are going to prompt that question in your mind. It might be because you are looking for a change in salary and you've seen that I think it's about thirty to $40,000 difference for a job for someone with a bachelor's degree or someone with a master's degree. It could be that you've plateaued a little bit professionally and maybe you want to move to the next level, but every job that you see requires that graduate degree. So you're starting to feel like professionally it's time. It could be that you want to master something. You want to delve more deeply into a topic, even a broad topic, and wrap your arms around it in a way that is just different than what happens in an undergraduate program where it might be a little bit more piecemeal or a la carte. So you really want to dive deeply into something. And we know that for students at our schools, they're also really looking for that professional toolkit that comes from a professional degree in a professional school. So those are some of the things that might initially prompt a person to say, oh, maybe grad school, that's the next step for me. And that's what I need to move to the future. So you mentioned a couple of these things that might be more difficult or impossible if you just have a bachelor's. We talked about kind of having that lower salary or just doing that deep dive. But when it comes to people who maybe right now have a bachelor's, what is kind of out of reach for them without a master's or a PhD? Well, there's there's quite a difference between things that might be out of reach with a master's compared to a PhD, but I think for a lot of folks, it's going to be driven by the field that they're in. It might be driven by the location that they're in. So for some, perhaps in the government sector or in very structured hierarchies, there may be positions that are not attainable until you have a graduate degree or salary levels that are not attainable until you have a graduate degree. So that might be a door that's stuck pretty shut. It's not locked, but it's it's pretty stuck push through without a graduate program. In other cases, it might be more of a leadership role where they not only want to see the experience that you have, but they're also trying to understand the subject matters that you've got a lot of depth in. And so that might also be a level that's harder to springboard into until you have that level of mastery or professional expertise or skills that can come from a graduate program. A PhD is a different path and probably the most closed door without a PhD would be academia, which for many people is is a vocation. It's a calling to go into that space. And so I think there would be a clear path to know that you have to tick the box. You have to go through the PhD experience to become a professor and to teach in academia in that way. As you know, our podcast is kind of oriented towards women and especially sort of women who have some other kind of um, minority status, whether they're queer or people of color or that kind of thing. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to 
maybe additional or compounding barriers that people who are kind of disadvantaged in those ways might face without an advanced degree and talk about a little bit how those master's or PhD decisions can be kind of a component of decision making for people who have those axes of oppression. So I don't think that being a woman is a disadvantage, (laughs) Um, but I definitely know the very different challenges that people might experience being in a room that are distinct to being a woman or being someone who's typically underrepresented in a particular space that our colleagues who, who are not in those categories may not see and understand. I think that a graduate degree, again, can be that springboard because it enables you to live the axiom that, you know, you have to be twice as good to be half as considered for things. Um, And having that mastery, having that depth, having those professional skills, it also enables you to build a network that may not come as naturally to people in certain experiences or certain backgrounds because they have not traditionally been in those spaces, whereas grad school can bring you into those spaces, can catapult you into those conversations, get you considered for things that maybe would normally only happen through a good old boys network. So it helps you build up your network as well of, of understanding and compatriots who will, who will bring you to, into conversations you might not otherwise be in. Yes, the space is full of challenges and opportunities. I think it's getting better. I think people are much more cognizant of the structural barriers, the assumptions that have been made in the past about why things were the way they were. So coming in and being able to say, I have a mastery of a particular subject, I have this professional skill set, lets you take advantage of this newer environment where people are reevaluating and showing how good you are and showing the new or the different perspective that you can contribute to the way things had been in the past. I think you've actually hit on something that's really important there that I don't think anyone had like fully explained to me when I got my master's, which is that like a really valid reason to pursue that is not just like, oh, I want to like delve deeper into this area, but also just like, I want to have the space and time to accumulate a network that's going to help me sort of launch the next step of my career. And I think we don't talk about that as like a selling point for graduate study, but I think it absolutely is one. And I I think we kind of like to leave it as an implicit point, but I think actually we should be talking a lot about how it is totally valid to want to go to graduate school to build your network. And a school can't promise that to you. It really is up to you to to build the relationships and both among your peers and your contemporaries who are also a tremendous asset, but with alum, with faculty, with professors of practice and, and others who might be part of that institution. I know I'm still in touch with some wonderful folks from graduate school who perhaps not opened doors, but definitely greased the lock for me on certain things. And that's a wonderful, and I mean that in a good way. Uh, So they've helped to broaden my knowledge and make me aware of things I would never have known about without them. And so it can be a great asset, but it's hard for someone to promise. The onus is really on you as that student to capitalize on that opportunity. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. One other thing that I sort of wanted to hear your thoughts on, obviously you're coming from a place where you're sort of working with people most interested in that graduate study, but there are kind of other options. And and we talked about like professional schools, like law school or um, finding, you know, really tailored fellowships. And I wonder if you can talk for a little bit about some knowledge that you have about those other options and maybe how they can be pursued either individually or in tandem with that graduate study. 
Sure. So when someone's thinking about graduate school, particularly trying to figure out what kind of program makes the most sense for them, there's five questions that I encourage someone to ask themselves. And this would also be true if you were trying to discern whether or not to go or whether to go after a fellowship or some experiential opportunity like Peace Corps. If you're older in your career, maybe a mid-career program. There's five discernment points that I would argue people need to reflect on before they decide what kind of program they want to apply to. I think one is what is the structure of whatever it is you're going to experience? In an academic context, that would be both what are the core courses that you have to take as well as what are the elective courses that you get to take. It would be looking at how flexible or prescriptive a program is. So if you're looking at a a grad school, any kind, a law school, school of international affairs, anything, how much of what you're going to do is up to you, how much of it is going to enable you to marry together different interests. Again, that spectrum between highly prescriptive and highly flexible and where you need to be. The same would be true if you were evaluating whether to do a fellowship. Is this a fellowship that is going to turn you loose to dive deeply into a subject or to gain firsthand experience in something, to be of service to someone else? Or is it a fellowship program that's going to be clear about the order in which you do or experience things? So the the first question is, what is the structure? How is it built? And how does that meet the needs that you have? The second question would be about one's qualifications. For graduate school, most schools, again, of any type are going to outline an imaginary average candidate and what that person looks like. There's no one score that's going to magically get you into a program or, or keep you out of a program. But getting a sense of what a typical person in that situation looks like and how you relate to that typical person. And then seeing whether it is a bit of a stretch for you, if it looks pretty solidly like you, or if you're a little bit more competitive. And being sure you look at a range of options within those different elements. The same might be true for a fellowship program as a stepping stone into a professional experience or as a stepping stone into graduate school. If all of those imaginary candidates that come forward in graduate school have a couple of years experience, you know that you need to look for something else. So you're going to need that Peace Corps experience, AmeriCorps, the JET program, the, or teaching English in, a, in another country, maybe an Emerson Fellowship, or any of those different sorts of experiential opportunities that are going to let you be exposed to different things and, and do some deeper discernment. So again, how do you compare to what that imaginary average person looks like and how comfortable are you being in a space where that is what an average human is? The third question I think people need to ask themselves is where do they want to be physically? What is the living environment that they're going to survive and thrive in? That's true in graduate school, whether you're discerning between a school in a big city or a school in a small town. That's true for a fellowship program. If you're trying to decide if you want to get out of your home country, go into a part of your home country you've never been and experienced. Obviously, COVID has thrown a huge monkey wrench into that particular consideration. But even with COVID, trying to see what's possible based on where you are geographically and and what kinds of environments are going to set you up for success. If you couldn't imagine not being in a big city or are not comfortable being surrounded by people who are different from you or speak a different language, then something like Peace Corps may be a terrible idea. 
because you have to be open to being challenged in that way to survive and thrive in that environment. So where it takes place can be another critical thing that people don't always think about. They just focus in on what the program is. So that's the third question. The fourth question, of course, is about finances and one's comfort level with debt, what the total value or total package of what an experience is going to, to cost or bring to you is also a key discernment point, I would say. For a graduate school, it's gonna not just be what the tuition is, but tuition, fees, cost of living, how long the program is, what kind of support there is in between different semesters. If a law school program is three years, what is the full obligation? If a master's of international affairs program is two years, what is that full obligation? Is it a program in one country compared to another? Is it a state school or a private school? All of those different pieces. If it's a fellowship program, are you paying for that program? Is someone paying you? Is there a stipend? Is there health insurance? With again, something like AmeriCorps or Peace Corps, they might come with graduate school funding afterwards. So really unpacking what the whole financial consideration picture looks like, and then trying to understand what that means for you, your comfort level, and your long-term success. But the most important question I think people need to ask themselves is they're trying to figure out grad school, not grad school fellowships, what to do with themselves, I think is what is the professional fit? What is the fit of one kind of graduate school program, professional program compared to another? What is the fit of having a couple years of an experience, whether it's work, fellowship, internship, whatever it is, basket weaving, compared to another? And sometimes people aren't sure how to get to that information. And so one quick tip that I usually give is that folks should look to job descriptions and the bios of people who are doing things that sound amazing, but for which they are currently completely unqualified. And if you read that job description or you look at that particular opportunity and you start to see, as you read more and more of them, some common threads and common characteristics. So you know that between now and whenever you wanna compete for that opportunity, you're gonna to have to build those common things no matter what kind of job or what sort of experience you, you wanna go for or what's open five years from now. And as you start to build that list of common items, you can hold that up to a particular program, hold that up to a particular experience and say, okay, this is gonna help me get three out of these five things I really need. This one's gonna help me get two out of those five things. This one's gonna require me to do 87 things that I don't wanna do in service of getting one of the things I do wanna do. So it gives you a really good measuring stick or litmus test pulled up to the program. And I think that's true, especially if you're looking at a fellowship. If you want some international experience and you don't have it yet, or you haven't gone as deeply into a country, a fellowship may be a great choice because it's a soft landing in a place rather than just sort of picking up and buying a plane ticket and leaving. It's gonna really immerse you in the culture. They might have a support system and network. It might give you some practical experience, maybe some in-depth research experience. All of that may make perfect sense for you if those are parts of the stepping stones into this future version of yourself. So those are some five ways to unpack the broader question of what you should do. I think that's particularly well-suited for folks earlier in their career. For folks later in their career, a master's may not be the road. It might be a mid-career program where they're going to capitalize on all the experience you already have. But those same five things, I think, still apply as you look to structure, qualifications, living situation, cost, and professional fit. That is an amazing list of questions. That's so <laughs> helpful. 
really fantastic advice. I think that's like a really comprehensive way of entering into that decision-making process. And I love that it applies to like both a a degree program or, you know, something a little bit more nebulous, like a fellowship or a a mid-career position. I I really think that that is a useful way of, of evaluating any of these kind of big career moves. That said, I guess, is there any other advice you want to offer besides sort of that that schema for evaluating choices, um, especially thinking about an audience of either early career people who may be going into that first master's or people who are sort of mid-career but thinking, oh, maybe I want to make a switch into kind of a more international affairs field? I think my best pieces of advice would be to be deliberate in whatever you choose to do. A lot of people go to graduate school because they don't know what else to do with themselves, (laughs) or they go to graduate school because somebody told them that they should, or they pick their program because it makes their grandmother happy. Oh, I went to law school because my grandma gets to tell all of her friends that I'm in law school. I would argue those are not effective reasons for spending the time and the money and the effort to wrap your hands around a, a particular professional focus. Be deliberate about and discerning about what you want out of a program. You're never gonna have a specific answer. You're never necessarily gonna put an incredibly finite point on something, but build towards something that is in the direction you want to go rather than putting energy into the wind and, and hoping it comes back to you. I think that folks are afraid sometimes to spend that time reflecting on what they want. And even if what you want relies on it and brings together a lot of different issue areas, there are still ways to do that in a, in a focused energy sort of way that aren't going to take time and, and resources to pursue. One of the things that I love about an international affairs program is that just like the world is complex and it's interconnected, an international affairs program lives in that complexity and, and is born as an interdisciplinary approach to questions. So it lets you bring together all of those different issues in one space and place. And for me, that was a great lens to begin to wrestle with some of the questions of the world and the way that I wanted to go into the world as a professional. And I think people don't always do that. They do things because they know, they feel like they know what it is, or they feel like it's safe, or they feel like it's something other people would like. So I encourage you all to just be as discerning as you can and be honest about what you want to master and why and not be afraid of it. That is kind of our last sort of targeted question, but I did want to offer you the opportunity if there was anything else that you wanted to to talk about before we finish up here. um, This is the time. Well, I invite all of your listeners to get to know the schools and to start to build relationships with the programs that you're interested in. Those relationships can be really beneficial, whether it's seeking guidance on what to include in your application materials, maybe asking for a little bit more financial aid if you need it, discerning between programs. All of those things can be really helpful. And we at APSIA try to create as many opportunities as we can for you to get to know schools. So I encourage you to visit our website, APSIA.org, where you can get to know schools, learn about different career options, find fellowship and scholarship information, and learn about some of the events that we have that give you that chance to ask your questions, build that personal relationship, and go beyond just what you find in a brochure and a website. That's a really helpful way to do that look inside you to figure out where you should be and where you're best going to thrive. I hope you enjoyed this interview. 
remember that there are two others that you should definitely check out in our podcast feed. As always, it was a real pleasure speaking to these women, and we really appreciate the time that they gave us and the incredibly useful perspectives they provided. Thank you for joining us this month and every month. We hope that this is a useful place for you to find information about the decisions you're making in your own career, and we really value anything you guys have to say. So please tweet at us, email us, leave us messages on Instagram. The social media team makes sure all that information gets to us. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whatever app you use. That helps other people find us, and it raises us up in the rankings, which is one of the most helpful things you can do to help our podcast be found by other listeners. You can follow the organization's Twitter at Women in Foreign Policy, and if the work we're doing means a lot to you, please consider supporting us via PayPal at Lucy Goulet or on Patreon at Women in Foreign Policy. We are an all-volunteer team, so that means your support goes even further. We love the work we do, and we absolutely couldn't do it without listeners like you. Thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye!